and turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good this morning. And you may be seated. Well, sure, great to have you with us on this Father's Day weekend. I have a, a message today. It's called Raise Them Right. And uh, it's certainly going to benefit dads, but anyone that influences children in any fashion. If you're a mother, if you're a grandfather, an aunt or an uncle, a coach, a teacher, a scout leader, if you have any influence over kids, I believe I can help you today. But uh, uh, my wife mentioned something to me uh, after Mother's Day that I thought applied to Father's Day as well. She said, you know, there's a lot of moms that don't go to church on Mother's Day because it makes them sad because they realize that things in their home are broken or perhaps they want a child and can't have one. And I would imagine the same things are true of fathers. That how many know there's no perfect dad in this room or in this world? And uh, as we share things from the Bible, uh, we'll learn, but yet there can also be a little voice of condemnation saying, you should have done that, why didn't you do that? Can you do me a favor today? Don't listen to that voice. Uh, this is not an object lesson of what could have been, but this is an object lesson of what, what can be as we go forwards. And how many know if you have children that are alive today, you have a relationship with those kids, and something good can happen because of your influence in the days ahead. Praise the Lord. And so now I want to begin with something. I want to show you a picture, and uh, uh, this is contrasting five generations of two people who lived in the 1700s. Uh, they were studied by sociologists, so this is not just, you know, something that I made up. But Jonathan Edwards, he's a famous preacher. Another man, his name is Max Jukes. And I want you to think now, both of these men had children who had children who had children. And this represents in the studies what happened over the course of five generations. From Jonathan Edwards' family, there was born a vice president, three U.S. senators, a hundred lawyers, 100 pastors, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 60 authors, 80 public servants, 75 military officers, 65 college professors, 13 college presidents. Now, if there's one thing I know about a father, when they look at their child, child do something, let I me mean, know oh, every dad is proud. I mean, they're proud of when that kid brings a, a, a picture home and dad didn't know that he had it upside down. He's putting that thing on the refrigerator. How I many understand what I'm talking about? That just is part of being a dad. We are happy for our kids. But this guy has something to really rejoice about. I want you to look at another real life man. His name is Max Jukes. What sociologists found out about his life, there were 190 prostitutes that came through his family line, 100 drunks, seven murderers, 150 people in the criminal system, and 310 died as paupers. So what's the difference? Let me tell you just a little bit about these folks. Jonathan Edwards first. His life revealed he was a godly man. He believed in the Bible. He followed Christ. But he was also hardworking, intelligent, and moral. I mean, it's not just enough to be a godly man. You've got to be willing to work hard be able to sharpen your mind, and you have to be, have morality about you. But he had all these things. He attended Yale at age 13, later went on to become the president of Princeton College. He married his wife, Sarah, and the blessing in their home was with 11 children. Every night when Minister Edwards was home, now listen, here's where the story becomes revealing. Every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he'd spend an hour conversing with his family and then praying a blessing over each child. He passed on a godly legacy. Let's talk about Max a minute. Uh, when the family tree of 42 different men in the New York prison system was studied. Now think about this. Prison system, they, they did studies, socio sociological studies, 42 different people, and guess what the common denominator was? It was Max Jukes. Uh, Max Jukes uh, wasn't all bad. He was a hunter and a fisherman. He probably had some good things about him. But history records he was also a hard drinker, an alcoholic. Uh, he wasn't really excited about work. He'd work when he had to, make some money, and then he'd have fun. But he had lots of kids, and many of them were illegitimate. So my question is, again, what's the difference? And it's very, very simple. One raised his children to follow God's word, the Bible, and one did not. It's the pathway we end up on. My text for the morning is Proverbs 22. Look at verse 6. Proverbs 22 is a scripture filled with hope. It said, if you will train your children to live the, say it with me, the right way, which implies there's a wrong way. 
If you train them to live the right way, when they're old, they'll not stray from it. Now, this is not a blanket statement undermining free will and bad choices and those things, but rather it's a statement of hope and promise that if we will give our kids light in a dark world, if we'll teach them God's ways, they'll stand a much better chance of, of making it in life as a success. Well, the right way is God's way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm a pastor that believes the Bible is literally the Word of God, inerrant, uh, and uh, if we would read it as such and live by it, we will experience God's blessing. I, I want to look at seven different principles today that will help all of us that have any relationship with kids. And I've entitled this message, Raise Them Right. Why don't you punch your neighbor and say, I think this is going to be good today. All right, here's number one. Go to Deuteronomy if you have your Bibles. I hope you do. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And the first principle is to teach your children to know God and to know his word. Deuteronomy 11 verse 8, written by Moses. And he writes to the Israelite people, and he says this, Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. In other words, to the Bible, to God's word. And he says an interesting statement. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Now in Jesus' day, some would take that literally. Uh, often they were hypocrites. I don't know that it's a literal statement, but how many know the hands are the place of action? And my hand can either steal my hand can cheat. My hand can do things that are godly or ungodly. Uh, with my mind, the forehead, I think. I think about what's right. I think about what's wrong. I act on ways. I evaluate. So then he makes the statement plain, teach my words to your children. And then he says this, talk about a, God's word when you're at home. Talk about it when you're on the road. Talk about it when you're going to bed. And talk about it when you're getting up. You say, well, does that mean I just need to turn on a Christian channel on TV all day long? No. What it means, though, is, is uh, as you go through life, instruction is not just 30 minutes in a book, but teach your children as you go through the course of the day. Uh, I made it a practice to do this. Uh, when my son was trying to figure out what he wanted to do, uh, we took a, a journey one day around Texarkana, and we'd pull up in different parking lots and we would talk about the person that owned the fast food restaurant versus the person that worked in the restaurant. What was the difference between them? Both good people, but there's a difference in terms of career. Uh, we, we did something I don't know if I'll ever do again, but we took an early family vacation. We were in Colorado, and uh, my son was there, daughter-in-law, uh, grandchild, mom was there, Rebecca came, and we brought uh, her boyfriend with us, get a little better acquainted. And they decided they wanted to come home in one day. So we drove from Colorado all the way to Texarkana in one day. And uh, uh, we find ourselves at 2.30 in a convenience store somewhere. And we go inside, use the restroom, you know, stretch our legs. And there's a woman there. She's about 30, nice as she could be, hardworking. And uh, had a good conversation with her. She said uh, uh, life was tough for them. Her husband had to work in the daytime. And she worked at night because they had a child. And that was the only way that they could save the money for child care and all that. Well, we got in the car and I taught my children. We got in the car and I talked about, like it says, talk about when you're at home, when you're on the road. I said, do you know the scripture verse that said, first prepare your work in the field and afterwards build your house? What that means is before you get married, before you have children, do what's necessary to get a career that will be able to provide a life for you. Because if you want the TV in the car today, if you get married today and you don't have the ability to take care of things, there's a pressure on life that you could avoid. So this is what the scripture is saying. But look at what verse 21 promises. As long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children will flourish. So... It, it, the title of the message, Raise Them Right. I mean, no, if you did a poll today in society, if you it took a class in a secular college, uh, if you got books and books a million uh, that were secular books, it would be radically different than what I'll tell you today. Because we live in a secular world that doesn't honor God or recognize the Bible. So the question then becomes, how do we know right from wrong? Listen to what the Bible says and records and, and, and can even be proven but 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture, the Bible, is inspired by God. It's God's word and properly interpreted relevant to us today. But notice what it says. God's word teaches us what is true and makes us realize what is wrong. 
It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do right. So what's the message? Lasting success, true happiness, and real prosperity are found in knowing and following God's ways. I would say this to you. Certainly, all parents realize their responsibility to provide for their children, to protect them. Uh, I have two daughters now in South Africa doing missions work. Rebecca left this week, and of course, she's 19. And uh, before she leaves, uh, for the third time, I said, honey, give me a copy of your passport. I went through the list of things she needed to have copies of, and I reminded her, you remember the movie Taken? I said, okay, you stay in that airport. You don't leave that airport until your sister picks you up. Well, you protect your children. But there's something that has to be paramount in our thinking, and that is teaching our children to know God in his ways. Because I got news for you. Outside of your church and your home is a Christian home. Unless your kid has a Christian coach or a Christian teacher, there's not going to be any other Christian influences in culture today. We live in a secular culture, and it behooves us to do this. The, the church is your partner, whether it's taking your kid to Kid Zone or bringing them to Powerhouse. I promise you, the, it costs you money to get your kids in Powerhouse. Heck, I'm the preacher, and they wouldn't even give me a discount when my kids would go. That's a joke, but anyway. But, but I always could do something else with that money. But yet when my kids would go, they would always have encounters with God. It was never easy to bring kids back on Sunday night to their small groups, but it's instrumental in shaping the values of those kids. One of the most important things you can do to help your child know God is that you have a daily time, you and your life, where you read your Bible and pray, and you teach your child to do the same thing. Because let me tell you this, when that child is a baby, you hold that child in your hands like this, but the rest of your life is the process of putting your hands behind your back, and that's going to become a free will agent but if you have taught them to have relationship with God, if you've taught them to pray and read the Word of God, I want to say, friends, they're going to make it. Give the Lord a good, good hand today. Let me follow up with your teaching. The second principle is set a godly example for your children to follow. Now look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want to contrast two kings, two sons, two dads. Uh, Jehoshaphat was, a, was good like his father. He was good like his father Asa, and he did what the Lord said was right. Kind of monkey see, monkey do. 1 Kings 15, another king, Nadab, son of Jeroboam, what's it say? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father caused Israel to commit. So it's monkey see, monkey do, right or wrong as a principle. Listen, if, your kid, if you have pornography in your home, let me give you a promise, your children will find it. And everybody who found your dad's pornography say, amen. You're going to find it. If, if granddaddy was an adulterer and daddy was an adulterer, unless you break it through Christ, adultery is going to be following the family lineage. But guess what? It can be broken in Christ. The power of our influence. You know, you won't find in the Bible an absolute prohibition against alcohol, but you'll find great warnings about drunkenness. You'll also find the power, what it can do to destroy your testimony. Uh, you'll find what it can do to foster laziness in your life and poverty. But my wife and I made a decision when our children were born that we were not going to have alcohol in our home because my, my wife didn't have alcohol when she was growing up in a preacher's home. But it was a part of my life in a big way. And the older I got, the more it defined me. I don't want my little girl, I didn't want my little girl to grow up and, and, and be splitting a, uh, what, what does beer come in now? What pack, what size? Six and 12, how did you know that? Gotcha. <laughs> anyway, I, didn't, I, I don't want my daughter to end up in the back seat of a car with a guy in a 12 pack. Because I know what he wants. The most influential sermon your kids will ever hear won't come from the pulpit by the example, by the way you live. Your son will, uh, will learn how to treat a woman by the way you treat his mom. Your daughter will likely select a husband based on how you treat your wife. If you're opening the door, if you're bringing flowers, if you're bringing, I mean, if you're showing love, if you're affectionate, if you lack violence, you know, and all these things, these kids will pick it up. 
Charles Kettering, he was American. He was a famous engineer and inventor. Uh, he, he said basically the same thing. He said, every father should remember one day his son will follow his example, not his advice. So be a godly example. Let's go to number three. Don't neglect discipline. Now, I'm about to take a 180-degree turn from much of culture today in what I'm going to say. Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you don't punish your children, you don't love them. Well, how can you say that in church? I do love my children, but I want them to be happy and experience life, and I want them to make their own decisions as they grow up. But if you love your children, you will. Now, if I were to ask that same mother that talked like that, if I were to ask her what she would do, like my grandson the other day, I get this video. He's walking the dogs, you know, and he's learning how to do that. Well, he lets the dogs go, and the street is right by the sidewalk. And he starts to step in that street, and he looks at mom, and he steps in the street anyway. Well, he's supposed to experience life, and he makes his choices and his decisions. No. Come on, I don't care what you believe. You're going to go and you're going to grab your son and you're going to make him understand the dangers that are inherent. Well, that's discipline. I remember when a discipline or correction helps a person get back on the right path. Whether it's uh, if a child wanders off in terms of biblical character, action, or truth, we help them get back on the path. Uh, we saw our, our son discipline for the first time and we both going to, <gasps> but it was right. He was at our house and, uh, and, and had his little high chair and all, you know, and how they eat. Well, he took some food and he put it like that. And his daddy looked at him and said, don't you do it. And you know what he did? It's what he inherited from my wife's side of the family. That child. <laughs> okay, Adam and Eve. That child opened his hand and looked at dad in defiance. And dad said, oh, that's okay, honey. You can do whatever you want to in life because you're... No, he didn't. He, ouch, he thumped him. He didn't hurt him, but he thumped him because it's a parent's role to discipline their child. You got to find out what works in your children. We spanked, uh, but I never used my hand to discipline my child. It was Mr. Spoon, and there was only one place it would touch. And it wouldn't be to hurt, but it would be to get attention. It worked on my son. All you had to do is hold up Mr. Spoon to my son, and he'd say, Oh, no, no, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But Rebecca, on the other hand, was different. If Rebecca did wrong, if we said, uh, 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 No TV for two days because you did whatever, Oh, please spank me, please spank me, please spank me, please. A spanking didn't do it. You gotta find what works for your children. Because here's the point. If you fail to discipline your kids, both they and you will suffer. Say, so why do you get that, Pastor? First Samuel 3, Eli was a priest, and his, his sons were behaving very badly as priests in church. And then God said this, I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family. I've warned them that judgment is coming upon his family forever. That's heavy. Because his sons are blaspheming God and... He hadn't disciplined them. It's our responsibility. Let's move on number four. Know who their friends are. And I'm going to add this. Know the media they're watching. And be deliberate about who's influencing the children. The basis for this, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Don't be fooled. Bad friends will ruin good habits. Now, there's no perfect kids. And oftentimes, your children and mine can be the influence that's going to help that kid that's struggling to get on track. But our question was always this, who's doing the influencing? If our kids are influencing for good, bring them on. But if they start to influence us for evil, we might have to cut it off. Remember the movie uh, 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 Snitch, Dwayne Johnson? Pretty good movie. Uh, it's a story about a, a, a teenage, so he, he was a successful businessman, divorced, you know, kid was angry. Uh, he had a friend that was dealing drugs. And uh, the story went that this friend that was dealing drugs wanted to mail 
uh, the drugs to his house because he couldn't get them on the airplane, and uh, he kind of didn't want to do it. And but when the, when, when the drugs were delivered by the DEA, the drugs were delivered. He opened the box, and that was his you know his guilty. And uh, lo and behold, he's he's uh, going to go to prison for a mandatory ten years. What's my point? Somebody's going to influence your children. And they're going to grow up and they're going to make their own choices. But as they're young, you have a responsibility to shape who is influencing them. I remember the first time I drank beer. I was with friends. And my problem was I didn't have just the first time. And my problem is I didn't just drink because I was thirsty. Come on. I was in the ninth grade playing in a baseball tournament. Now, my grandfather was an alcoholic. He died an alcoholic, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and drinking a case of beer. He drove, one night we felt the house shake, and it's because granddaddy couldn't get his foot on the uh, brake and stop the truck. I knew that. I loved granddaddy deeply. It was just a part of, of his life. But when my friends, I, I was ninth grade, I was second baseman, they were 12th graders, 11th graders, and it was over for them. We didn't have a bus back then to ride on. We rode in their car. And we're just, and they would give me one. It tasted horrible, but 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 I would, you know, I'd watch them. They would drink it and then throw their little Miller Lite pony, whatever it was, at a mailbox or something. And I'd wait till they weren't looking and throw mine, but mine would be full. And they made fun of me. So I remember the first time I smoked. My best friend. Why am I telling you this? We need to surround, do our best to surround our kids with the right people. We need to do our best. I, I want to encourage you to have a Christian uncle and a Christian aunt that may not be a relative, but a godly person that's your friend that cares about them, that they can talk to and develop relationship in their growing up years. Because one day something's going to happen that they might not be willing to talk to you, but they talk to uh, their aunt. For example, maybe, uh, maybe your 16-year-old really is in love and her boyfriend's pressuring her to go on the pill. But she really loves him. And they've already talked about getting married one day. You know how kids think. And, uh, and uh, she needs to talk to somebody. Well, she doesn't need to call up 1-800-Planned Parenthood. She needs to go to someone that she's had relationship with all her life that can have fun with her and talk with her. Uh, picking families to spend time with. Getting your kids involved in Powerhouse. Now look, I know there's no perfect kids down there, but I go down there all the time, and I catch them in the kitchen before service, little seventh graders, having 20 people in the room. I'm telling you, those kids are crying out to God in ways that I have rarely heard adults do. You get your kids around some of that, it'll rub off on them. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Be careful who. We're going to talk about media in just a second. Let's look at the fifth one. Guard their innocence. But teach them, warn them about the ways of the world. Now let's begin with the Bible. Romans 16, 19. Paul said, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Now this word innocence is an interesting word. It means that you have no guilt or sin because you're not acquainted with evil. How many know, if I don't even know the wrong is out there, for example... You say pornography on the internet? If you don't even know it's out there, come on. If you have parental controls on your kids' devices, and they don't even know it's out there, they don't know that some woman is, is you know, trying to reach out to them. Uh, uh, if they don't even know it's out there, there's a protection that's there. But yet, once you know it's out there, there's a pull to go after it, and they can lose their innocence. Uh, we have a responsibility as a parent to help our child be innocent. Of evil but at the same time so they're not gullible I know good godly Christian parents have done an exceptional job they sheltered their kids though to a degree and when the kid left home and went to college he didn't know anything about the world and went just slap crazy Rebecca she's going to, to college she goes to UCA she's in a sorority she her roommate uh, was gonna come and 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 uh, be with us last Monday so we went to Broken Bow and go canoeing and uh, after, after it was over, I looked at Linnell and said, Rebecca has an innocent uh, roommate. Now, I mean, she's stupid. She knows about boys and all that, but she's maintained a purity 
and an innocence about her. I want my kids to be around people like that. Uh, I want to shift the media a second, and I want to tell you that most, uh, much of what your children will see on TV is, is opposed to what's biblically sound. I want to ask you what your kids are watching. Uh, little Henry came in our home the other day, and, and uh, no, we were in Colorado, and uh, there was some show we were watching, and uh, it, uh, it had a scene of violence, and I covered his eyes. Well, now you can cover their eyes, in my experience, for until they're about three or four, and then after three or four, they're going to take your hand away because if there's something out there they want to see, you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to have it in your home or not? It is there. Uh, HBO has a show for teenagers now. It's coming out called Euphoria. They say it's one of the most graphic, sexually-oriented shows towards teenagers ever produced. Full frontal nudity, uh, pulling kids into a sexual lifestyle that I can guarantee you they wouldn't let their own kids watch it, but it's out there, it's around your kids. Uh, there was a study in the Journal of Pediatrics that says the average eight-year-old spends eight hours a day on media. Eight hours a day, that's the phone, that's the computer, that's, uh, that's television, music. Eight hours a day. Uh, a teenager spends 11 hours of their day on screens. You put them to bed at 10 o'clock and they're probably going to watch their phone till 12. Uh, children spend more time watching television than any other activity except sleep. By the time they're 18, now this is the American Psychiatric Association, by the time they're 18, they've seen 16,000 simulated murders and 200,000 acts of violence. Uh, you, ever, you ever heard of The Walking Dead or watched it? It's not something that appeals to me, but listen to what four hours cataloged of The Walking Dead. 126 gun depictions or shootings. 546 acts of violence, 82 stabbings, and 33 decapitations. Four hours of entertainment. And this is what makes me angry. This is on the screen, and this is from the author, not mine. There's been over 3,000 medical and sociological studies in the last 50 years that have proven conclusively that children are adversely affected by exposure to media violence. But yet the hypocrites in Hollywood, whenever there's a school shooting, they blame the guns and the gun manufacturer and the freedom of guns in America when they are profiting billions of dollars off bringing this filth into our homes. Those same people have armed guards that surround them wherever they go, but yet it's something demonic about this that wants to bring it into our world. And listen, it's overwhelming. And here's the problem with technology. Your kids are smarter than you are. How are you going to hide it from them? You've got to have a strong offensive strategy. You've got to help that kid do everything in your power to where they're running after God. Because only an internal monitor for Christ, the Holy Spirit, can keep them in the place they, they need to be. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Uh, number six, and, and, and I struggle with mentioning this because I want to talk about marriage for just a moment and, and, and uh, raising your kids. I know many of us have been divorced. I know, I know dear friends today that are going through divorce. And uh, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I want to hold up a standard. Uh, I, I want to I tell you the value of your marriage. Uh, 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 a lifelong healthy marriage is the greatest gift you can give your children. Uh, let me read Malachi chapter 2. God made husbands and wives to become one body, and that's intercourse, a man and a woman. Stop right there. Why did God do that? Oh, to have fun. Uh, uh, to, 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 you know, you know, you know. Uh, but he didn't stop right there. He added it to it, but I'm getting in trouble. Let me keep reading. God made husbands and wives to become one body and one spirit for his purpose so they would have children who are true to God. So a man and a woman raising godly children who know God and who know his word 
marriage is crucial to help them. Now, let me show a little video, kind of make you laugh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into this. It's my grandson and my son and his, uh, uh, his this wife. This old piggy went to the market. This old piggy stayed home. This old piggy had roast beef. This old piggy had none. And this old piggy went wee, 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 wee all the way home. <laughs> Say again. Again. <laughs> oh, that makes you smile. It's a little trite to say that daddy needs to hold him on the bed and tickle his feet while mama does the little piggy song. But there's just something about a mom and a dad being together. There's something about who a male is and who a female is that's lost in today's culture. Your kids will do best if they have a mom and dad. And, and, and what I want to encourage you in is, is sometimes it's hard to stay married. Sometimes, sometimes it, it, you're not happy. Sometimes you're mad. Sometimes clearly something's better on the other side. Sometimes they make mistakes. But if both of you, and I can't say this more profoundly, if both of you will stay committed to God, you can make it. If only one of you are, it's tough. You could do it, but it's hard. I, I've talked to people up close and personal about what they're going through in a divorce, and I've come to the conclusion, I don't know if I could stay in some marriages. But if both of you will walk with God. I want to read you a little testimony for a couple. They go to our church, TJ and Marcia. Uh, I share this with permission. They were here first service. But they write, our marriage was completely broken. Each passing year, it seemed to be getting worse. I really wanted to give up, but the Lord would tell me to hold on. It seemed as though God was speaking directly to me through scripture, words of encouragement, and messages from pastors at the church, as opposed to a secular counselor, a girlfriend who's been married three times and hates men, or this new hottie that's after you. Who are you listening to? Well, she said, I finally put my complete focus on really knowing God and stopped trying to fix my dead marriage. That's when the Lord restored and brought our marriage back to life. He healed deep scars. He took away the emotional pain. And he replaced it with his peace and love. Today we lead a life group for married couples. And we're proof that God can change anyone in any situation. Come on, give the Lord a good hand for that. Now let me say this. Many of us are raising our children alone. Many of us are a single dad. We're a single mom. We're a grandmother raising our, our, our child. It's hard. But you can make it. With God, you can make it. I shared this last service when Larry Jones, one of our elders, were, were here. Larry was raised by his mother because his dad died when he was a young man. They were, they were dirt poor. But yet Larry somehow got on the road to success. And today he's a very successful business person. But more important than that, he's one of the best dads I've ever met in my life. He gave what he didn't get when he was growing up. Listen, there is hope that even if your situation is not perfect, if it's not leave it to Beaver, you know, with Warden, whatever what her name was, you can make it. Give the Lord another good hand here. Uh, I'm going to close with this point, and, and, and I'm saying it this way. Kids need a push. Now, a little illustration here, they'll hold up here. Now, here we got on the swing, and I guarantee you that kid's saying, again, again. But I'm not talking about swings. As a parent, we need to push our kids towards excellence. We need to push our kids towards hard work. And we need to push our sons to be a man. Let me, let me uh, pause on each one of these. Push our kids towards excellence. Proverbs 22, 29 Observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand, which implies those skilled workers are going to pay. They're going to charge more, and they're going to make more, and everybody always wants to hire them, right? Skilled workers, they don't take a back seat to anyone. Now, I was talking to a friend this week, and he's in construction, and he was just bemoaning the fact that he couldn't find a quality stonemason uh, and, and, and when he would hire the stonemason, on, uh, when he hired just somebody off the street on the job, then 
you know, the owner would get mad and he'd have to redo it and he'd lose money. He said, there's only one guy I know that can go out to that particular type of job and he can do it and do it with excellence and people brag on it. But he says, the only problem is three other companies in town hire him too and I can rarely get him. Why is that? The man knew excellence in his work. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Excellence starts in childhood. And you can, you can... You have a responsibility, if you want your kid to be successful, to teach your kid to do things the right way. For example, uh, taking out the trash. Uh, there's not a lot of things kids can be responsible for today, but uh, let's say they, they're going to take out the trash, and you've got a big trash can, and it's got a garbage uh, bag, a black bag, that's probably too small for the trash can. Mine is. It makes me mad every time I do it. I put it on there. I fit it on it. And when they drop the sack in there, the black bag collapses. And then, and then the child that's not excellent, take out the trash. I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm, my, I'm watching something. Okay. About 30 minutes later, did you take out the trash? Uh, I'm playing with the kitty. Okay, time to go to bed. Did you take out the trash? I'm sleepy. Well, you're going to do it right now. Okay. And they open that bag and they go, Hook, and the black bag goes, whoosh, and they go. A good parent. <laughs> Fix it where the black bag stays up. No but, or I'm going to have but. No. Nope. I'm just telling you. Push kids towards hard work. Proverbs 13, 4. Lazy people want much. Lazy people want big screen TVs, but only can afford a small black and white one. Is that what it says? It's close. Lazy people want much, but get... And watch out for this. I don't know how this has come to America, but our universities are teaching kids the values of socialism, and all socialism can do is make everybody equally poor. Not everybody give you a chance to become truly rich. But lazy people want much but get little. We've even invented this idea in America now that we're trying called guaranteed basic income. What do you think that is? but another way to take away from you the incentive to work. Lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. And they'll prosper not just in what they make. I can guarantee you this. If you'll work a little harder and stay a little longer, you'll make more money than the average person. Whatever your job is, I can guarantee you that. And I can guarantee you there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an emotional benefit that comes from doing a job right. You feel good about yourself, and there's value in it. But notice what it says. Those who work hard will prosper. Here's what I want to tell you. Kids left to themselves become lazy. Your child, unless you make them get up, they will not get up before 11 o'clock or 12. They're not going to do it. Um, my dad, he didn't go with me to church. Now, he loves the Lord now. But when I was little, he didn't. But he taught me to work. And I didn't have a choice. And I developed a work ethic from dad. But listen, you've got to push your kids to work if you want them to be successful. I don't care what they do. It's harder in today's world, but you can find a way. In our world, it was with picking up gumballs was one way. We had gumball trees everywhere. My kids thought they were being tortured to the nth degree. And then I bring my son to our park over here where the pine needles pile up. Oh, we almost had cussing fits out there. Then one day when he's older and we did a remodeling out front and there was a stack of old rocks that needed to be thrown away and he was loading them up in a wheelbarrow and the person that owned the landscape company, Donna Pittman, came up and we began talking. Now he's 19 and she came up and saw him working in that wheelbarrow sweating in August heat, picking up rocks. She found out he was going to go to school at SAU in Magnolia and right on the spot offered him a job. Not picking up rocks but in the business office. And then he decided to push himself. He got an accounting degree, got a CPA license, then got an MBA, and he's rolling in life. Somehow, he learned excellence, and he learned a work ethic. It'll make you successful. Come on now, give the Lord a hand.
I'll close with this one. Push your sons to be a man. 1 Kings 2, King David now is near death, and he gave this charge to his son Solomon. What did he say? Take courage and be what? Be a man. Now, I never in my wildest dreams thought we'd have a conversation about what does it mean to be a man. Uh, let me show you a picture. This was in our newspaper several weeks ago. D-Day celebration, a remembrance. I don't know if you caught any of that. It was deeply, deeply powerful. Uh, I, this is not intended to be a promotion of our president, but I listened to his speech on D-Day, and it brought tears to my eyes when I realized what people had gone before me had, had given for me. But the contrast are the greatest generation. They're about to go out on the beaches of Normandy. Remember Saving Private Ryan? They're about to face that. And then on the right side, the latest generation. The greatest generation was a generation of kids that just saw their duty to flag and country and God and were willing to give their life. They were willing to do whatever was necessary. They worked. They were the product of the Industrial Revolution that changed the world and made America an economic superpower. They sacrificed the Great Depression to find who they were. But somehow something has changed. And this latest generation, if you can see this college kid, uh, uh, Mom, he's looking at me funny. A trigger warning, where's my safe space? And of course, he's adorned with socialism and political correctness. What happened? What happened between the men of the greatest generation and some of which our culture is producing today? I'll suggest to you one of the main contributors is the secular, the secular mind has taken away the notion of biblical manhood. You see, God created men and women differently. He didn't create men superior and women inferior. He created us as equal, but yet we're distinct in who we are. When I went to college, I, I lived in California when I started ministry, and I, and I got a minor in psychology, and back then, 35 years ago, they were trying to make men androgynous males, which basically meant to take out the masculine characteristics and make us the same. And that's exactly what's happening to I would have never thought in my wildest imagination that I would live in a country where people are teaching our kids now and demanding of the adults that you let me choose my own gender. A look in the mirror is not enough. I get to choose. And Facebook somehow has come up with, they tell me, 40 to 50 gender choices so I can decide who I am. And what we've become, we've become the latest generation. I want to suggest to you, friend, biblical manhood is a solution. Biblical manhood will teach a man that he can be strong and yet tender. Biblical manhood is not Clint Eastwood dragging some prostitute by the hair, okay? Biblical manhood is a man that's strong yet tender, that is responsible, that leads, provides, and protects his family, that defends the weak in our culture, that lives humbly before God, and the list could go on and on. Culture is trying to call, erase the distinctiveness between men and women. They tell us we're the same, but they are wrong. God made us different, and I encourage you to teach your boys to be men. That was a good time to say men. Say, so why are you talking about that stuff in church? Because it's the truth. And it's not just my opinion, as, the as much as America would say, well, you're just a white guy. Yeah, God created me white, so what? It's not my whiteness. It's not my maleness. It's not my southern heritage. All I've been doing today is reading Bible verses to you. All I've been doing today is trying to teach you what God's Word says about current subjects. I'm done. Let me tell you what we talked about today. Parenting, biblical parenting principles. Teach your kids to know God and his word, number one. Set a godly example for your children to follow. Don't neglect discipline. 
Know who their friends are and the media they're watching. watching. Be deliberate about the influence. Guard their innocence, but teach them, warn them about the ways of the world. Fight for a healthy, lifelong marriage. And lastly, push your kids towards excellence, work, and push your boys towards biblical manhood. I think it'll help us raise a godly generation to turn things around in America. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I'm going to close with a little video that'll make you smile. And uh, it's about uh, parenting from, uh, from birth up to the time your, your kids are out on their own. But I, I think you'll see a theme here about dad is number one encourager. Take a little peek here. You got this. You got this. Uh -huh. Might be. You got this. Come on. You got this. You got this. Dear Jesus. I want to invite you into my heart. You got this. I got to turn the lights out. There's still some tears. Eyes uh, has some tears in them here. No. I want all the, uh, the dads to stand up. And if you're a grandparent, I want you to stand. If you're an uncle, if you're a coach, a teacher, anybody that's influencing kids. And I just want to ask God to bless you. You know, my... Uh, my dad didn't take me to Sunday school, but my dad was at almost... Now, my dad's a dedicated Christian now. But uh, he was at virtually every ball game I ever played. He was there at all my events. And I never questioned my dad's love for me. Your kids live in a world... I'm 60... How old am I? 62 or 63. I can't remember. But when I was 61, I'm riding around the truck with my dad. And I said, are you proud of what I've done with my life? That had been much better if he'd have told me. But there's a need inside of. I don't care if it's that little kid on the baseball field that's striking out. Or it's an old guy behind a pulpit. We need somebody to believe in us. And your kids are in a world that tells them they're ugly, they're stupid. They're the wrong this, the wrong that. That they'll never amount to anything. But the voice of a father, a grandfather, an uncle and help bring out the best in them. And I pray that you do it to the nth degree. Lord, I ask for myself and all of my friends that are gathered here that the grace of God would rest on our life. It's a big deal to raise a child. It's hard to be a dad. It's easy to tell them what to do. It's hard to provide the godly example. I want to pray the Holy Spirit would anoint us. Just slip your hands to heaven. To say, God, I need heaven's help. I need heaven's help. First, I need you to help me quit looking back over my shoulder at what I should have done. Right now, I just say that's over in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
You've asked God to forgive you, let it go. You cannot undo it. But you can be the best dad, granddad, uncle from this day forwards. A godly influence, a helper in the life of your child. So help us, Holy Spirit. Do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want everyone else to stand. Now let's all stand. We're going to close with one last song. Of course, I hope all the men stop by. It's a pretty cool little thing out there, little man cave. I got some peanuts last night, ate them before I got to the Chick-fil-A. But anyway, uh, we want to close with prayer. If you're here, you need prayer about anything, we'd be delighted to pray. But clearly, if your family needs help in some way, if today is hard on Father's Day for whatever reason, let us pray for you. If you've got kids away from God, marriage in trouble, we'll pray about anything. But... Maybe the most important prayer we'd like to pray for you that are here today and say, Pastor, my greatest need is I, I, I need to get right with God. I remember when it happened to me. Now, I was young, I was 19, but I was in church. But it wasn't enough. See, church won't get you to heaven. Church is good. But I needed to come to a place in my life where I humbled myself told God that I was a sinner I'd done wrong and I needed God's forgiveness that my ways were not enough and I wanted to walk with God and I remember like it was yesterday I asked Jesus to forgive me and I committed my life to follow him see a lot of people want to leave their guilt at church but it's the committing to follow Christ that has the power to change us and I wonder if you feel right now like I'm talking to you well friend maybe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you Maybe there's something wanting you to get out of this place as quick as you can and something else wanting you to come to the altar for prayer for your soul. That's the voice I'd listen to. We're going to pray. We're going to close with one last song. But I'm going to ask you when they begin to sing, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I need to get my life right with God. I'm going to ask you to just, when they start singing, just slip out of your chair and come to the cross. promise you we won't embarrass you. But you know what? If you can't make a step for Jesus in the church house, you'll never do it in the world. You have the guts to come. Let us pray for you. We'll pray for you. We'll give you something that's going to help you live this life that you've always longed for. Go ahead and begin to play right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here for any needs that you might have before we go today. Most importantly, you need to get right with God. Slip out of your chair. We'll see you at the cross. I love you. Don't forget Wednesday night. Next week, we'll talk about the supernatural again.